everyone. This is episode 20 of the Fitness Business Growth Podcast, a podcast run by gym owners for gym owners. Today, I'm very grateful to have Australia's best fitness closer, Brooke Triplett. Brooke, how are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here, Jamie. Thanks. Awesome. I'm going to cue the intro. We'll be back in one second. Welcome to the Fitness Business Growth Podcast, a podcast run by gym owners for gym owners. My name is Mitch, and along with Jamie, we are your hosts, and we will be discussing all the important things that you need to run a successful fitness business. From marketing, to lead generation, to sales, to retention, to staff, and much, much more. So if you are a fitness business owner, then this is for you. We hope you enjoy the following episode, and we will speak with you soon. And Brooke, we're back. I tell you what, Jamie, Mitch is in the wrong podcast industry. His voice is just so calming. It's like I'm listening to Jay Shetty or something. Like, it's very relaxing. <laughs> You're like the exact opposite. I'm so loud, so excited, with so much time, he just, like, time to get to business. It's so nice. I was like, what am I about to jump into here? Like a retreat or something? <laughs> You're the first guest I have on the podcast, and I wanted to start our run of guests off with a bang. You are hands down the best fitness closer in Australia. Agree or disagree? Don't be humble. Uh, well, thank you, Jamie. I, I mean, <laughs> you know me. I don't like to say that, but um, my stats would suggest otherwise. So, yeah. Um, awesome. So I have I have some stats here for the audience. Now, Brooke is a high-ticket closer for multiple fitness brands across Australia, typically selling for women over the age of 40. Now, how this works is an online program. Someone clicks on a Facebook ad, they have a chat, they get booked into a call, they speak to Brooke. Brooke's job is to close them in under 30 minutes, and the prices range from about 2500 all the way up to $3,600. So last year, Brooke... Took four, took 661 calls. Brooke closed 475, which is a 71.84% close rate. Brooke gross revenue was 1 million, 1.2 million, which is just absolutely remarkable. And I'll, I will say this, Brooke collected the cash up front over 60% of that. Now, Brooke, I don't know many people that have closed 1 million in fitness in 12 months. Neither do I. <laughs> Neither do I. So yeah, that's that's impressive hearing hearing it like that. Um, yeah, that is that's really impressive. Well, there's two people that have really helped me with my sales. One's AP Andrew Poulton, mm-hmm. and one is you. So I've always been very grateful. You were always so kind to me. And the script that we give all of our gym owners was largely written by you. So thank you, and our clients can thank you too. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, it's definitely been trialed and tested. So yeah, it keeps getting better and better. Yeah, I think anyone that takes credit for creating the script or creating the marketing system, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. And it's just you learn one thing from there, one thing from there, you learn what doesn't work. And after test and test and test, you have this perfect script by the end of it. Okay? Yeah, now, yeah. We've got five things to talk about today. And number one, while we started fitness business consulting was I believe that if you coach someone, you have to answer this question which is why should we listen to you, right? So, Brooke, I'd love to learn about your journey from where you started to, to where you are now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, 
funnily enough, I think sales has just been always embedded in me and my personality, and I just never have really tapped into that. So I am a, a massive influencer. I've always been able to influence others easily, right down to buying a lip gloss or, um, you know, changing the color of their hair. And I've never, ever really noticed how much I do that and how much I have an impact over other people. So when I was young and easily influenced myself, I was caught up in a multi-level marketing, network marketing um, pyramid scheme, so to speak. And... <laughs> I did extremely well, like so unintentional, knew nothing about sales, absolutely nothing. And I actually was flown to America to accept an award because I, I became some crystal director within a matter, a matter of months. And I honestly, it was just this whirlwind. And I was like, I don't even know how I'm doing it. People would come to me and say, well, what's your secret? It's like, tell us how to make more sales. And I honestly didn't have the answers. I just thought I'm having genuine conversations with people and I'm seeing if we can help. And I think once I paired those two parts of my personality together, the ability to influence and the need to want to help people, I just really found my my passion and my niche. So I started to explore that avenue a bit more. It's funny you say that, Brooke, because I'll say this to I'm black in the face, like, the fact that you give a shit about your prospect, the fact that you generally care, you want to get them a result. Obviously, sales techniques, tone, pause, like pausing, tonality, all important. But at the at the core, are you a good person? And do you care about the person you're speaking to? And that gets so lost. I always hear, Jamie, how do you handle the objections? How about you give a shit about your prospects? Yeah. And actually, funnily enough, when you ask me later on in this, what some of my tips, like that is the number one thing is actually showing up to every call thinking, what am I going to do today to help this person and remove everything else, remove the noise and just show up to that call and help that person. And the outcome is you're not going into people with pre-assumptions or trying to be a pushy, sleazy salesman. You're literally just there listening and helping. And when you realize that you could influence people, and you had a pattern for it. I guess a question that I get asked all the time is, are you a natural salesperson? Hmm. What would your response be to that? So back then I would have said yes, um, but that is because I didn't know anything about anything. Uh, now I think no. I, don't, I think natural ability can only take you to a certain point. Um, and then you need to actually start to master your skills. Otherwise, you'll, always, you'll, hit the, you'll hit a ceiling and that will be where you stay. So I've dedicated the last probably 18 months to really um, learning and upskilling myself so that I can pull from lots of different you know, avenues into creating this script that just is, is flawless. It's funny because your natural ability was bubbly, friendly, caring, and then my natural ability was just absolutely steamroll people. So different people <laughs> show up. Absolutely. But it was just... I was terrible. I thought I was good, but I would just, my conviction was so strong. They would take mm. so much belief, but it only gets you so far. Being the steamroll gets you so far. Being the nicest mm. person in town gets you so far, and that is where those next skills come in. So we went from MLM to being the crystal mm. director, whatever that is, mm -hmm. and then we started working in the fitness industry, and you worked for RBT. For those who don't know, RBT was a chain of about 20 CrossFit functional style gyms all over Australia. What was your role at RBT and like what was that like? 
So it started off just as a coach and um, then very quickly moved to a growth manager. So we were sent to Sydney and we managed uh, a gym over in Sydney. And part of our role was to grow it from the ground up. And again, very little sales experience, but I found myself constantly winning. Like I was selling the most amount of paid and full memberships. I was had the best, best retention. I was getting lots of people through the door. And I never knew how or why, but I was just... Nat- and this is where my natural ability would come into. I was naturally good at influencing people. So um, I found myself, again, stuck into a bit of a sales role and really thriving and succeeding in it um, and, and was loving it. So, yeah, that's sort of how I entered the fitness industry. So let's get into the nitty-gritty. So they were doing a pre-sale for a club in Sydney and then yep. or was it pre-sale. You'd have leads coming in, predominantly via Facebook, referrals, mm-hmm. maybe had a stand at the shopping centre, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. was it your job to sell them into a short-term program, 28 days, six weeks, or was it a 12-month membership? It was a 16-week membership. So RBT used to run these challenges where there'd be a $5,000 prize for the best transformation. So we obviously had two funnels. We had our 28-day challenge, super simple, although I used to be terrified at taking card details over the phone. I was just like, who on earth is ever going to do that? And then our other funnel was 16-week leads going into, yeah, 16-week challenge. And Chatswood won twice this fast start challenge that we did for selling the most amount of paid and full memberships in a, I think it was a two-week period. So, um, yeah. So 16 weeks paid in full. Yeah. And, and what, what, 997? 997. <laughs> and when that gym opened, how many members did it have roughly? Do you remember roughly? Yep. So when we took over, there was about 50 paying members and we got it up to almost 200 in under a year. Well, actually almost eight months. That is absolutely remarkable because most gym owners get stuck at that 50 to 60 member mark. Mm-hmm. The person who had that, had that gym would have, would have been saying things like Chatswood's a tough area. Uh, Chatswood is difficult. There's a fitness first in Chatswood. There's a crunch fitness in Chatswood. This is the worst area. I cannot make this work. Mm-hmm. Then a talented marketer comes in, a talented salesperson comes in and quadruples it. <laughs> like It just yeah. shows the power of sales and marketing. Oh, our culture, Jamie, was just, it was, it was next level. I think we had to weed out some of the, you know, there was always those members that expect things and once we sort of eliminated a lot of those we just hit the ground running and we built this the most beautiful family today we're all still mates we all still keep in touch um so yeah it it was yeah it was an awesome experience and when you were winning the piffle awards at rbt did you start going to other gyms and doing pre-sales there like how did your role evolve there so yes i um i I actually started selling some 28-day challenges on the side for some gyms around Perth, Um, and that is where I probably realized that maybe I didn't like sales because it was that nature of, like, you know, being on a speed dialer and just waiting for people to pick up the phone, and I probably um, put up walls with that. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I don't like churning through prospects. I, I hate the idea of just jumping on a dialer and hoping someone will pick up and then trying to, you know, sell them on the spot. So... My sales experience took a bit of a turn, um, and I was like, "Oh no, I'm 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 not liking that." So yeah, that was a, another little thing that we that I did on the side. I'll just jump in there because technology, automations, final systems have some come so far these days. The majority of way gyms get members today is click learn more, name, phone number, email on the thank you page. Wait, there's one more step: booking a call. And mm. obviously, 
you know the difference of someone booking in a call with you, that quality of conversation, or on a speed dial, that is the version of door knocking. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Yeah, I had a guy come to my door the other day. He was selling solar, and he did such a great job that I booked a phone call. <laughs> he was at the door. I had too much respect for his game. Wow. So he sold you, essentially. He <laughs> did. It's just like, if someone's door... The thing about gym owners, gym owners, don't get me wrong, running a gym is difficult, but they say it's difficult, it's tough. No. Driving two hours to a line, spending 12 hours underground, driving two hours home is tough. Door knocking solar at 6pm on a Wednesday is tough. If we leverage the technology we have today, it doesn't have to be that difficult. Yes, I agree. We're on the speed dialer, you're on the phones, what's the percentage of pickups, like how many are you selling, what was, was it a triage call, run me through the process. Oh, it was literally cold calling. It was like, here, these leads have just viewed the ad. Give them a call. Um, we actually did okay. We ended up filling out a full 28-day challenge. Um, but for me, at the time that I was in, I was managing a gym. I was, you know, I was sort of um, – Scott and I actually started our own online coaching business as well. So we were just sort of being pulled in all different directions, and I probably couldn't give enough to that. So I sort of only did it for – maybe a couple of months, and then I thought, no, I just want to focus on the gym, getting that to a point that is, you know, super profitable, and then our own business as well. Something we thought was really important, you weren't comfortable grabbing credit cards over the phone, which is laughable today. I know, I know. So you were signing the 16-week pips. Was that, like, were you booking appointments in person and pitting them, or, and then later on the phone came? Yeah, so that was obviously a massive for me, I just could not get over it. I was like, no one's going to give their credit card details over the phone. And this is back then. Like, of course they are. Um, so some people I was able to do that on the phone, but it was a very uncomfortable, like, question. Okay, well, I'll, I'll just grab some, you know, um, credit card details, you know, secure spots. Um, but most of the time I was able to get them into the gym. I would take them through, get a stand done, show them around, and then literally be like, in hands and it would be like, game over. Yeah. Yeah. And, right, yeah, and developing as a salesperson, if you're in person, your bubbly friendliness, bounciness, that is what's yeah. getting them across the line, and then you just lose mm-hmm. that over the phone. What are those? Is it the, the six, oh, six cents? That's a movie. It's five senses. And over the phone, you've got, you've got one. Yeah. And that even shows you how, how, how vitally important it is to listen to the prospect and make them feel like you're on the same page, you're on the same side of the table. Because if they if they sense any kind of sales process, resistance just comes in, and then trying to break through those barriers is almost impossible. A lot of the times with salespeople, I find Brooke, it's a belief thing. Like I work with gym owners, and they don't believe they're going to get leads, and then we get them fifty leads. Like it's just like, it's like no problems. Like you'll get the leads, and then yeah. it's just like I could never ask for credit card information over the phone. Who would do that? Mm-hmm. But the, what they make the judgment of is they wouldn't do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And they bring that into the call and they bring that into their business and it can really affect how you show up in that moment. Um, so I've, 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 this is where I've had to really hone my own skills and understanding that the way that I'm feeling in my mind, in my body is going to show in that call. So if I'm having a, a bad day and I jump into calls, you bet I'm bringing that with me into those calls and therefore my conversion goes down. So you really have to make sure that you're recharged and you're protecting that energy. And if you have a shitty call, you have to move away from that call and do something to release that energy so that you can move into that next call ready to help that prospect and not bring any, any of that over with you. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And gym owners particularly, and online coaches, they actually buy from their own wallet. Mm. And they cannot believe that someone would pay $100 a week, $150, $200 a week to solve a problem because they've never actually experienced the problem. Have you been that 150-kilo woman who can't be naked in front of her husband? Are you waking up tired every single morning? Are you embarrassed to put on clothes? Are you picking your holiday based on destinations that you cut, that you don't want to show your skin in? And the fitness professional has always been in great shape and they can never actually walk a day in that prospect's shoes. And then they'll say stuff like, I would never pay that. It's not about what you would pay. A mechanic wouldn't pay you to fix your car, but you sure as shit pay him. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think fitness is one of the hardest things to sell because you're selling a dream. You are selling something that for a particular person, they may have failed that time and time and time again. And there are no guarantees in life. I mean, I'd love to sit there and say, oh, we guarantee that you're going to lose this weight. But at the end of the day, if they've got their own limiting beliefs blocking them, you have to, as a salesperson, get around those to get them to understand that that's what's stopping them from ultimately achieving their goal. And that in 30 minutes, that's tough. That's a hard gig. You're overcoming years and years and years of limiting beliefs. Have you heard of Alex Famosi's value equation? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is amazing, and it explains why fitness is so hard to sell. So the value equation on the top line, it is what is the dream outcome? Let's say the dream outcome is lose 20 kilos. On the other side is perceived likelihood of achievement. The woman who's tried to lose 20 kilos 10 times, her perceived mm-hmm. likelihood of achievement is so fucking low, like next to nothing. Yeah. Under that, it is how quickly can they get it? Well, typically to lose 20 kilos, it's six or 12 months. So this person's dream, they're probably not going to achieve it. They've got to wait 12 months. And the last part is, for the, in their own mind, whether it's true or not, they have to sacrifice things they love mm-hmm. and start doing things they hate. Yeah. So you try, you try selling that over the phone in half an hour if you don't have the skills to do it. Because if my dream outcome is buy a coffee... My perceived likelihood of achievement at 7-Eleven, pretty high. Pretty <laughs> high, top, yeah. One delay instant, my sacrifice, it makes me feel good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've heard it time and time again, but fitness salespeople make the best salespeople because we're selling effectively hopes and dreams. Yeah, exactly. Everyone has said that to me. If you can sell fitness and you're good at fitness, you will be a gun at any other, any other industry, um, which is – yeah, which is exciting because I, uh, you know, speaking to women and selling them something that I know is going to help gives me a lot of joy. Um, and, you know, you have those calls where you, you get them across the line and it's been a battle, but a good battle, same side of the table battle. And it just makes you feel like you've really accomplished something. You've, you've literally put their, you put their needs before your own almost and you've given them a solution, something that, that they know if they put the hard work in, they can achieve yeah, and sometimes fitness owners just expect, here's my credit card, take my payments. If that was the case, your job wouldn't exist. And it's your job, it's your job to help them on that journey to overcome their beliefs, what's happened in the past, why it's important to them. We'll get to the script later on, but it's your job to get them to the point to make that change. And I think one of the biggest things for me, Brooke, and why I love selling fitness so much and I'll sell fitness for the rest of my life is we're actually Selling a product that everyone fucking needs. Needs. Now, one thing that I hate about sales or the word sales is if you're a salesperson, you probably don't go around telling everyone that you're a salesperson. 
because it is shameful. <laughs> Jamie, I have this conversation with Scott all the time. I was like, I don't know why there's so much shame and stigma around being a salesperson. And I think it really does come down to the fact that, you know, previous old school ways of selling and methods were very pushy. You know, it was the sleazy salesman. It was like, I'm not letting you get off the call until you, you know, make a decision right now. It, that is what we're coming from. And I suppose it's people that still have that, you know, view of a salesperson in today's day and age, but it's just not like that at all. Today it's about open communication and actually finding a solution together. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. There is so much stigma and shame around being a salesperson and making a lot of money, and it, it, it shouldn't be. Yeah, it's like, what do I have to do to get you in this car, in this car today? Exactly, yeah. I've told this story once. I was, like, 19. I went to Pacific Fair at schoolies. I went twice. I was a toolie. And I left my shoes at home. So I went to Pacific Fair, went to a store, trying to pick up a pair of shoes, and this shoe salesman, before I even knew what sales was, came at me 10 out of 10, like, hey, man, want a pair of shoes? Oh, and I'm just looking now, how about you try that pair? So it's in the city, that pair must go on your feet to get in. Got to, got to get in them, man. And I was like, I was, I was a pretty confident 19 year old and I was just yeah. in my shell and I, I took the pair of shoes, I bought them, and I've never felt dirtier in my life. And if you feel that way, it's a short term thing and you don't want to be that person. I think for me, it's the people that stand in the middle of the shopping center and they literally cut you off and they go, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? And and it's that perceived ideology of what a salesperson is, that persistent, annoying, pushy person that is why sometimes you get that resistance the moment someone picks up the phone. I don't want to be in, I don't want to be sold anything, just tell me what you do. You know, like how we are triggered by triggering responses. So how do you deal with that without just being like, oh, excuse you know, like add that combative response. So yeah, it's um an interesting one. Yeah, I did four pre-sales and I should have gave results-based training my secret. I had a tennis ball and I used to throw it at people and they catch it. Oh, what's this? It's like, oh, you can't get training? And that is how I would stop people. And then I would just... I just bulldoze over them. And it was the classic, yep, pre-sale membership, save $300, get your first month free, PT session, sign here. And and the worst thing was, is we'd always make sure the pre-sale stand was on the same floor as the banks. Because at this point, Visa and MasterCard wasn't that popular. So I don't know my banking details. That's okay. Commonwealth Bank is 100 metres that way. And I was just like walking around the corner like... <laughs> I'll walk you there. <laughs> bad. So bad. So we used to ask Charlestown Square throwing tennis balls around for years. That's awesome. What a creative way at getting people's attention. I like it. Yeah, but it, it, it was. But also, I never found out what the refund rate was. I never found out how many people cancelled before the gym opened. I never found out what that person said when they walked around the other corner and thought, that guy's a dickhead. <laughs> and one thing, too, if you sell like a dickhead, you actually become a dickhead. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, you spend all day just like hearing no, 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 and you just take it home with you. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's, um, you, it, this, the role of a, a salesperson is honestly one of the most difficult jobs I've ever had because you take on people's, not only do you take on people's problems, but, yeah, you also deal with rejection. And no one, no one in this world likes to be rejected. So, like I said earlier, you have to be able to leave that at the door before going into your next call, and that can be really tough. 
Mm. One of the biggest things I get from gym owners, and I'm sure you see it too, coaching other online closers too, is they get rejection one, two, three in a day, and mm. their world's melting down, and it is so hard to take a step back and say, hey, well, hang on, maybe you lost the last three calls, but you closed the first seven. You've yeah. closed 70% for 12 months. Life's good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Looking at the bigger picture, I think we can get caught up in our day performance, even in our week performance, but that is nothing in the big scheme of things in, in a bigger picture. You know, everyone's going to have bad days. Everyone's going to have bad weeks. Um, far out. People are going to have bad months. But if your overall ROI is positive, then you are profitable. So you have to take things with a grain of salt, um, particularly bad days and bad weeks. Yeah, and it's just, for gym owners in particular, like just client finance acquisition. So they spend money on ads. Ten leads cost them 300 bucks. That We want two leads to buy a 28-day program for 300 They spent 300 got two, two new clients. They've made 300 And that is how people scale gyms. That's how RBT scale. That's how they all scale. But it mm. all comes down to you can have the best marketing, the best product, but that person in the middle, either over the phone or at the gym or in the shopping center, they are the key to success. Absolutely. So with your going from MLM to RBT to high-ticket closing for multiple brands across Australia, how did you end up there and what has that experience been like? So I was actually approached um, from a friend of mine and he said he's got this great um, opportunity and he really wants me to meet um, AP and I was really hesitant at first and I thought, nah, I've, I've sort of gone back to teaching and I'm happy there. I, I, I really thought I'd left my, my, my sales days were behind me. I want, to unpack, um, I want to unpack that. Why did you feel that way? Was it just burned out? At, like, what happened? Well, yeah, so RBT didn't um, end well. <laughs> I think I can say that. Um, and so I ended up just thinking, nah, it's too high pressured. I don't, I don't like not feeling secure in my job. Um, and so I just put it to the side and I thought, nope, I'm going to go back to teaching. So I'm, I've actually got an education degree. So went back to teaching, felt happy. No, again, there's a feeling though. And I was constantly searching for more, more. I always, I always look for little things that I could do on the side or side hustles or just things that I could, um, you know, just add to my income and so when I was approached by a friend saying oh my goodness this offer is just amazing it's right up your alley like I think you would love it um I I took the leap of faith and actually met with AP and we had a really good conversation um and then the rest is history I started taking calls and I think he said to me my first week would be like out of this you know it'd be amazing my first week absolutely sucked in fact my first few weeks sucked to the point where he sent me a message and was like, hey, we need to do some serious training with you. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're not going to have a job. And I was like, saw that and thought, no way. Like, I've always been the best. Like, I'm going to now <laughs> run with it. And so, yeah, from there, I just started getting better and better and better and better. Well, that's interesting because I only know the version of you today. Those first couple of weeks didn't take me a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> so what happened? What happened? I think I was just a bit rusty. You know, I hadn't sold for ages. I was out of out of the, the space. I wasn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't immersed in it all. So I just felt really rusty and I felt like I sounded a bit robotic and I was really following the script to a T and I just wasn't being conversational or actually listening to the prospects. So 
was just missing the mark, you know, I was missing really important golden nuggets that I should have explored. And I got to the end and I'd always be like, why didn't they buy? Like, what did I do wrong? I was just being really emotional personally. Um, so it was a big learning curve for me. And then obviously it took a few weeks for me to just really get back into gears and start um, having those meaningful conversations. Do you think it was just repetitions you were just out of the game for too long that you not forgotten how to sell but just every conversation was a big deal for you at that time yeah for sure I was just I'd, I'd been out of the game I I thought sales was you know sleazy I'd kind of fallen into that um mindset where you know sales is yuck and it's icky and I don't want to do it and why am I doing this and I just yeah I, I just was in a shitty headspace um and then it took me doing some self-reflection as to going, okay, what am I doing wrong in these calls and taking that extreme ownership? And then, yeah, took a couple of weeks to really get firing. For anyone that heard that, this should be really inspiring. So, Brooke, we need to do some training to now effectively being the best in the, co- in the company, and it's not even close. Like, it's not even close. So over those three weeks when you did reflect, was it more adjusting your beliefs around – was it, were you selling like you were selling for a gym still? Were you selling, like, like what happened? Like, how, how did it change so quickly? I, I heard someone say to me, just rock up to the call and have a conversation. They're like, you're so good at having conversations. And I think, I thought to myself, that's so true. Like, what am I doing? You know, I'm just having a conversation with somebody on the other end of the phone. I don't know why I'm so angry about it. And when I changed that mindset and actually started focusing on the prospect, what their what their problem was, what you know, what, what where their pain was, and and just being on that same side of the table, getting you know, understanding, coming from a point of understanding, it just made the whole conversation change. Every, everything changed. So. Um, yeah, that, that was a big turning point for me, just walking up to the call thinking you're having a conversation and how you're going to help that person today. So you feel as though you had the same skills week one as you had week four, but it was just your approach to that phone call and that they, they, could, they could smell what we call in sales commission breath. Is that, is that fair? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, Brooke, elaborate. What is commission breath? Commission breath is basically you doing everything that you can to get a sale. So, and, and, and they can tell that. I mean, that's basically not giving them the space to feel any kind of feeling. I mean, an objection is them being triggered by something, right? So if you are then further triggering them with, you know, commission breath, they're, 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 they're literally going to hang up on you. That, that's what will happen. So I feel like we can, as salespeople, particularly after a day of maybe like seven sales fails, we can get that breath where we're just like, come on, this lady has to buy. I'm going to throw absolutely everything at them to, to, to make that happen. And I guess how did you lose that commission breath? What, what was your process to remove yourself from the outcome of the call effectively? Um, just refining, so getting better at asking questions um, and realising that if I am going to have any kind of meaningful conversation, I need to stop doing the talking. I think lots of people in gyms, and when I used to sell for IBT, it was me just coaching them the whole time. Oh, well, you know, this is wrong with your metabolism. Oh, we need to do that. Basically flexing my expertise. And I definitely started taking these the same way. I'd be coaching them throughout the whole thing. So I'll, I'll get to the end. I just want to really unpack this. So your script, whoever wrote it, it's been contributed by 10 people now. It's amazing. I give that to a gym and we coach them through it and they say, how will this apply to my gym? And they forget about the core principles, what they are actually selling versus 
whether it's a spin bike gym, whether it's a CrossFit gym, whether it's an F45. Do you want to elaborate on that, where you were in the coaching frame and not actually kind of discovering why they're there in the first place? Yeah, so um, I was under the belief, and this is because I didn't have any sales training, that coaching somebody and flexing in a call and basically showing off and how amazing you are and how knowledgeable you are, would, it would be a no-brainer. Of course they're going to buy because they're like, oh, my God, I trust this person. They're, they're so smart. They know everything. Um, but I quickly realized if you're going to spend $3,000 over the phone, you need to have a bloody good reason why. So here's me trying to get a couple of level answers and coaching them through the whole way for, to get to the very end and then just to go, okay, cool, well, thanks, I'm going to think about it. And it's I... So, yeah, it's so hard for gym owners because we're so passionate about our chosen way of fitness. We are so dogmatic about this is the best way to get in shape that we just don't shut up about it. Yeah, they, it actually, yeah, it does not matter. Yeah, no. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your approach is. If the if the prospect has enough pain, they're going to buy. That is literally, if they've got a $3,000, a $2,000, a $1,000 reason why they need to do this, they will buy. So if it, it goes, doesn't, it doesn't. And gym owners like, oh, I can't sell them until they come down to my facility because they need to see it. No, they don't. They don't no, care. They don't. And one thing is, lots of gym owners do want to go online, and period, point blank, if you cannot sell an in-person service over the phone with that trust there, your gym is in the area, I call it the throw a brick through your window trust level, like, Mm. it is not going to be a scam, because they can find you, when you go online, that is completely removed, and it is such, like, I don't know, it is just... The amount of trust that you need to build in that half an hour is just astronomical. Astronaut, yeah, you're right. And especially lately as well with the amount of scamming that's going on, women are really holding things close to their chest. So, again, if you're not on the same side of the table as them, they are not going to trust you with $3,000. They just won't. Um, so it just further heightens the importance of listening, communicating, um, finding a solution together rather than dictating. Yeah. And I guess what we're, what we're discussing then in the sales world is just called solution dropping. Mm. Whereas, oh, my name's Brooke. I can't wait to help you. This is what we offer. And you just talk for 10 minutes and the prospects mm-hmm. start to fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. One of the well, they also oh, – sorry, I was just going to say, the moment you start talking about today we're going to talk about this, X, Y, Z, I mean – your prospect just automatically has gone, oh, right, I'm in a sales process. Wall, wall, walls. Like, like, if you attack a call by just literally being like, hey, how are you going? Like, I, I, just wanna, I need to understand you. I need to know if we can actually help you. Um, it's okay if I just start by asking you a few questions. They're thinking, oh, okay, this person genuinely cares about me. We're having a conversation today. Where I'm not in a sales process, and therefore they're more likely to open up to you and just give you everything that you need. Imagine if I came to Perth when I saw you, we had a few drinks together, and I said, well, today, Brooke, we're going to do X, Y, Z, and at the end of it, you can let me know whether we're going to go to venue two. Like, you thought, <laughs> who the fuck is this guy? And, like, well, why did I spend my afternoon with, with myself and Dave? Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you don't talk to the prospect like they're your best friend. You're not swearing, you're not carrying on, but it needs to mm-hmm. be that conversation. It needs to be that conversational tone the whole way through. Mm-hmm. And even when you say that big number, $3,000, mm-hmm. that is when it needs to be more conversational than yeah. ever before. 
Yeah. You need to be seen as the trusted advisor, not the best friend. Like, don't get the two mistaken because if you're seen as the best friend, then they're easily going to be able to let you down. But if you're seen as, like, a trusted advisor, someone who, you know, is is really challenging their insights and the way that they're thinking, um, you know, when you get to the end and they give you a think about it objection, for instance, you have the authority to then challenge that insight and make them see and understand why thinking about it is not going to help them. I um I love this from Jeremy Mine. I love his content by the way. I'm sure anything yeah. you right? I I I'm the confused old man. Like, oh hey, it's Jamie. We booked a call there, did you? <laughs> like, yeah, what? yeah. Why are you even here? Yeah, <laughs> and he I, yeah, yeah. And then I go from that, and then I almost every part of the script I go from the bumbling old man to like mm. advisor, 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 trusted advisor. Now I have the permission to say what you really need to hear when it comes to that fear objection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Give me a fear objection any day of the week. I love a good think about it. If you hit me with a think about it, I'm like, let's well, go. <laughs> let's go. Through, let's go through that, right? Because the amount of gym owners that I hear say it's too expensive or I can't afford it or I got a cost objection, I fundamentally disagree with that wholeheartedly because if F45, CrossFit, RBT did one thing, they popularized group training and every single person in Australia knows it's about 50 a week. So on that phone call, if you're doing 28 days for 199, the price isn't a concern. So, Brooke, if someone used that cost objection – and it's not an objection. We know that. Mm. What happens? Like, uh, I, I would say something like, I, I hear you, Jamie. Um, you know, can, can we do something for a moment? Money aside, is, is this the program for you? And as soon as they say yes, because they will, you say, why though? Like, cut them off instantly. Why though? Get them to, get them to revisit the reasons in the first place that they're here and why they want to do this. And then you can sort of say to them, well... Okay, so what can we do together to try and make make this work financially? And and nine times out of ten, they'll be like, oh, you know. Then they can start thinking, oh, you know, that, that Netflix subscription that I never watch, or I, you know, I've got a bottle of wine. Essentially, when you're dealing with a money objection, you want to make sure that you are not. They need to lead the way, so they need to be thinking about the wine or the takeaway, not not coming from you. I think it's so important because what can we do together? You're on yeah. their side of the table as opposed to saying it's too expensive. It's only a coffee a day. I yeah. fucking hate that. I don't know what the framework's called where it's like you grab all their takeaway, their wine, their expenses, only to throw it in their face at the end of the call. If you do yeah. that, they will instantly think, who is this guy telling me how to spend my money? I've just met him. Mhm. Mhm. Never. I mean, that's just basically triggering, being triggered in their response. So you're going to trigger them back by saying, "Well, hang on a minute. You smoke, don't you? You got. You, you know, that's it. That's an extra fifty dollars a week. That is just not ever going to end in your favor. And if it does because they feel pressured. You bet the moment they get off the call after they've reflected, they're going to start to feel a lot of shame around that decision, um, and and end up in a cancellation anyway. So, so someone that yeah. gives you a projection and you say, "Money aside." Mm-hmm. And then we discover that like money isn't actually the issue. They can afford it. It's one nine nine. It's not a big decision. This isn't high ticket closing. It's one nine nine. Everyone can afford it. We squared mm-hmm. away what we call logistical objections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why did they give that objection in the first place? It's because they are scared. 
And you mentioned yeah. before fear-based objections. Where does that fear come from? It's just failure. You know, I mean, you got to you got to think in fitness. A lot of people have failed time and time and time again. In fact, a few of them may have even been caught in a bit of a scam where they were promised all these things, and as soon as they paid money, anything, and all of a sudden the company went under. There is so many things that have, have, you know, made this person bring that to the call today. And if you don't help work through what process with that, they're not going to sign. So, you know, I, I, I my favourite thing to say is, you know, okay, cool, all right, let me think about this. I'll sort of say something like, okay, and if you don't mind me asking or just sharing some insight, Jamie, do you think, you know, every decision that we've ever made has led us to this point? So do you think going away and thinking about this, do you trust that decision, that same decision-making process that has actually put you in the position that you're in, extra 25 kilos heavier, you know, list their whys again? And usually when you actually put it in black and white and say that to them, they go, you're right, I'm going to end up talking myself out of this as soon as I get off the call. So what do we need to do today, you and I together right now in this moment to put yourself in the best possible position to achieve X, Y, Z, so that you don't end up in a wheelchair or whatever they enter cost of inaction. So you're just building that urgency and getting them to understand that the decision needs to be made now, not when you get off the phone. And only a trusted advisor can say that. Absolutely, yeah. When the sales guy, 2014 Jamie the Bulldozer, you've already been thinking about it. What's there to think about? And that is the difference between a very, very – Average salesperson who maybe can get some sales across the line but feels disgusting by the end of the day versus someone who generally has that prospect's, I guess, best interest at heart because they are not going home to sit in a rocking chair by the window and think, is this program for me? No. They're going to think of a million reasons to talk themselves out of doing it. And sometimes you can even say, it sounds to me, Jamie, that you're actually thinking of reasons not to do this. Is that fair to say? And then you'd be like, oh, yeah, you're right, I am. I'm thinking of all these reasons, all these excuses. That, that voice in my head's getting louder and louder and louder telling me that I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough to, to be able to get these results. Yeah. And, and there's lots of things you can do up, upstream in the call to prevent the cost, to prevent the fear. One of the best things I think AP ever taught me was just like, period, point blank, Jamie, if they don't have 2000 to $3,000 re- $3, reasons why, it will almost always end in a sales fail. So, Brooke, I would love to unpack this because I think – I don't think I'm a good objection handler. I think I'm pretty terrible, to be honest. And I think that I'm really great at preventing them because of the why. So, yeah. Brooke, let's, let's role play. Let's role play. So, I'm a woman who's mm-hmm. 47 years old. I'm 20 mm-hmm. kilos weight. And I haven't been able to reach my goal before. Mm-hmm. You can lead this conversation and I'll reply. All right, from the start or are we going just to the why? Let's just start straight at the why. All right. So, Jamie, I want to shift gears with you for a moment. We've explored sort of the physical elements, the things that have been going on for you. I want us to take a moment to connect deeply with the reasons why you need to do this. And, and, and the reason is, is I, I want to be able to hold you accountable to those things. But I also want to make sure that there's a strong enough reason behind why you need to make this change. So what's, what, what are you, what's your why? 
just um I just want to lose the weight. I just just need to lose the weight, like twenty kilos heavy. Okay, so twenty kilos overweight. How, how's that been affecting you? It's just like it affects it affects the clothes I wear. It affects what I do. Like I'm always tired. Everything, just just everything. Okay, what do you mean by everything? Like I, I cannot remember the last time that I, I went clothes shopping and enjoyed it. Okay, how does that make you feel? Going clothes shopping and you know really wanting to try something on, but knowing that you're not going to like how it looks. Like that's why I don't go. Like I, I I put it off deliberately for as long as I possibly can, and it's just like it's not even the clothes, Brooke. It's like I can't I can't shop in the shops that I want to shop in anymore. Mm. Okay, so it sounds to me like you've you've taken the sidelines of your own life. Well, like I just I'm just not comfortable. Like it's it is so hard for me to go in there and see a dress that I want to wear and I just know it's not going to fit me and it's just not going to look good on me. So I just, yeah, I just, I just don't do it anymore. Don't do it anymore. I, I just don't feel like, it's not even the clothes, but like I just don't feel myself. Like I just don't, I don't feel like my old self. Your old self. And what does that feel like, Jamie? What, what is, what, what would your old self do in, in this instance? Like I'm tired. I'm grumpy. I used to be fun. Like I used to be outgoing. I used to be confident. I used to do things with my friends. There was a, there's a race day coming up on the weekend. I, I look forward to that event. Now I'm like literally lying to my friends about why I can't go because it's, it's, I can go. I just still want to find a dress. Mm, okay. That sounds like trouble. Jamie, I, I want to do something with you. Tell me what it feels like to be back there. What is what is losing this twenty five kilos do for you on a personal level? It's like it, nothing short of like life changing. Like I feel like I'm existing. I've got, I've got don't get me wrong. I've got a great life. I, I love my kids. My husband loves me. But just like just day to day, just waking up, going to work, coming home, on repeat. Okay, so so losing this weight would be really life changing for you. Yeah, like, yeah, every aspect. Mm. Okay, Jamie, let's do this. I want to ask you a question, and it can be a little bit confronting, but what I tend to find is even though we want the help and we do all the things, we get on a call, we put ourselves out there, taking that next step can sometimes feel like we're stuck in concrete, and no matter what we do, we can't get there. So let's say you don't take that step today. Where are you in the next five even 10 years if you don't lose this weight? I, like, the same place. Like, nothing's going to change. Hmm. Nothing's going to change. And, I mean, are you willing to... It's just, like, I've I've been like this, and I I can't see it it getting better. Can't see it getting better. Okay. So, I mean, Jamie, is this something that you're just willing to accept for yourself? I, I can't. I can't. Like, I just can't why, do it. Why not? Why not? Because I want to be the old me. Like, I want to get the old me back to fund me. I want to go to the race. I want to see my friends. I want to be that role model for my kids. Like, 
This just mm. isn't who I am. Okay. So w- what is it going to take, Jamie, for you to actually take that second step and, and get your old self back? I just need to, like, I, ne- I just need to get out of my own way. I, it's It's been 10 years and I keep thinking about it and nothing changes and nothing changes and nothing changes and I just, I'm at the point where I just, I need help. Mm. And see, that's the thing, Jamie. Nothing's going to change unless we change. Every moment is a new moment and you are in charge. So you can either make the choice to take the step on the path less traveled to moving towards actually achieving your goal of that 25 kilo loss or you can choose to stay where you are and just keep hoping that it will happen for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. Like just, I just need to change. Mm -hmm. We'll, we'll, We'll end it there, Brooke. But like, Selling one nine nine over the phone, it's fucking, it's fucking laughable. Like, it's laughable. Like, and that's the thing. Like, people are going to say, oh, Jamie, that was a lay down. You gave the great answers. You answered correctly. If you ask the right questions with the right tone, you are the trusted advisor. Your prospect will open up to you and tell you what they think about at 11 p.m. at night. What are they Googling mm. their partners asleep? They will tell you everything. Mm-hmm. And people are horrible at articulating their thoughts. So we mm-hmm. need to ask the questions to get them to give us the answer. Peeling back the onion. And you can even see in that example, you started off very cold. You were like, oh, I just want to lose the weight. And it went from that to being like, I need to find, I'm just existing. I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm a, I'm a skeleton of what I used to be. Like it, it went from just, and some people will accept that. Just that, that 25 kilos. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on. And and that's where we've, we've missed a whole opportunity to learn more about the prospects. Yeah, and that's when you get the, I don't think, I, I can't afford that. They just do yeah. not value what you're putting down. Mm. And that's Absolutely. where, like, I get asked every day, Brooke, what's your best way to handle cost, partner, think about it, and it's just, like, focus on everything before that. It's like, you are worried about the supplements when you should be worried about the calorie deficit. Like Absolutely. The worst fitness designers I, I meet, they, they always complain about their worst client that doesn't track mm. their numbers, that don't put in the work. You are that person. Mm. Just show up in different ways of your life. Yeah, yeah. It's so much better to, to work on pre-handling the objection than getting to the end and going into battle with them, you know. It, 85% of my calls are objectionless. I, I honestly would say that, 85%, and it's because I do the heavy the heavy lifting on the front end of the call. If they open a door, you bet I'm going into that door and I'm exploring and taking what I need and then closing it and moving on to the script. So a script is a framework. But if you look at it as a corridor, there are so many doors that are open that the prospect actually invites you in, and you can either go, sure, or you can just ignore that and keep moving forward. But the more doors that you ignore going into, the more likely you're going to have objections at the end. Yeah, well, the great question you asked them was like, and it's your responsibility. You are in charge. At the end of the call, it's very hard for me to say my partner makes the decisions. And yeah. you closed off a partner objection. You closed off, think about it. You t- closed off, I can't do it today. Just by asking the right questions, at no point did I feel like I was being sold to. And the prospect, like, they are not a sophisticated buyer. It is the first time through this process. Maybe their second or third time. You better know the process better than them. Mm. Oh, absolutely. You need to be two steps ahead of the game throughout the entire call. You can preempt what they're going to say, but don't preempt what they're going to say, if that makes sense. Like, you can be aware of it, but let them actually say it before you respond. 
That's a really good one. Like, uh, you want to lose weight? Oh, so you can fit into the dress? No, because I've got diabetes. Exactly. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> like, one, one of the, I've listened to a bunch of your calls, Brooke. Very fortunate. And one of the things that I've learnt the most, and I still get uncomfortable to this day, is just silence. Silence is terrifying on that phone for both prospects. And I'm not talking about Jordan Belfort, the first person who speaks loses. How do you use silence on your calls? And why do you think it's so effective for you? Well, silence is important because not only does it build urgency, but it actually gives room for the prospect to have an, a think. Because if we're thinking about how a conversation goes in real life, it's not constant. You're not going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There are moments of silence. You're sitting in the car with your husband, for instance. There are moments of silence. And that doesn't mean that they're not engaged. It means that you're giving them the space to actually digest that. If, if that line that I just gave you about it's your choice, you can either choose to go this way or you can choose to go that way, that is such a powerful analogy that needed to sit with her. And I want to allow that. So you need to take a step back. And also, when you sorry, the, the the biggest thing too, like yeah, I need to actually let that sink in and visualize. I can go part one, part two, but if you go straight into the next thing, you're throwing more stuff at me. I just move on. So that's I've never heard it explained that well. Where like you want things to land certain ways, and you need to give them time to process it, especially if they're just coming out of this slumber of like I've never ever lost weight before. And they almost had that light bulb moment, and you want them to say, ah, aha, yeah, okay, like, that makes sense. Like, and then you are absolutely the trusted advisor. And you're, you're the voice that has been running around their head for the last five years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't want to follow something that powerful with, does that make sense? You want them to say, oh, Brooke, that makes so much sense. You're right. I'm stuck. I feel like concrete's all around me or I feel like I'm playing the same song over and over and over again. Like you want them to come up with what it is that they're struggling with. So allowing that silence is you building that urgency, letting something land, letting letting them sit with that. Also with the price too. Mm. Because you'll say our program costs $3,000 and then if you just go, or bang, 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 bang. If you say the program costs $3,000 and you just sit there in silence, and it is uncomfortable and it's very hard to do, then it's like, yeah, like, well, can I pay that in two parts? Yes. <laughs> no problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. They're literally thinking and you interrupt because you always panic, oh, my God, they can't afford this. I'm going to drop sell, drop sell, drop sell. Or it literally could be what I hear all the time on Jim Core recordings. It's just like, it's 199 or you can do this, but, and the person just often says, well, like, yeah, that's fine. That's no problems at all, but I'm going away week three. Can I put it on hold for that week? Yes, you can. But they just jump in before even hearing what, what, the, what the objection actually was, which goes back to, is it logistical for you? You need to work out which one to do this. Brooke, what is the life of a high ticket closer like? So it's pretty good. I mean, aside from aside from sometimes not being able to disconnect, I mean, I give my absolute all into every single call that I show up for. So I think sometimes by the end of the day, I'm really drained of my energy. But as long as I do things to replenish that or recharge, so sometimes I take a walk, I listen to lots of um, mindset, 
uh, podcasts and just things to, to protect my energy so that I can show up for my family after that. Um, sometimes after a particularly bad day, I'll really let that affect how I show up for, for my family, which I really don't like. So I think you have to look after yourself as a, as a high-ticket fitness salesperson because you do just sometimes feel like you're churning through people and it can be a hard slog. So protecting your energy, protecting your mindset, making sure you're doing plenty of things that are recharging you so that then you can show up even better for that next call. I think that's probably um, some good advice for people who are thinking of going into this industry. I saw a great thing on a podcast that was like, if you look at your calendar at the end of the week and you mark the things as green, as they gave me energy or red, they drain me on my energy. If you really go through your calendar and it's all red, something needs to change. Brooke, who are your biggest sales mentors? Who has taught you the most? Who do you look up to? I would, I, I would definitely. So I'm doing um, a lot of training with Kayla at the moment. So she is um, basically NEPQ's female version. So she talks a lot about feminine energy and how to use that in a sales call, uh, which I just think is so relevant for the, the actual product, the, the program that I'm selling. Um, but your Jeremy Miners, your Matt Riders, like even your Marcos, like they're all really big influences and, and have helped me a lot in just to develop into the salesperson that I am. There's so much amazing free content out there that if you know what you're looking for, it is there. Before I knew AP, before I ever heard of the name Matt Ryder, I love their podcast. There's a YouTube video of him selling fitness to someone over the phone. It goes for about 22 minutes. I've probably listened to it a 100 times. So, Matt, if you're listening to this, big fan. And one of the best questions I ever got off him, and I use it to this day, especially for gym calls, I'm like, why now? Like, like why bother? <laughs> It's such a powerful question. Yeah, like, you it's pretty important, but, like, why now? Like, mm. you just put it away and just that one line helped me close so many sales in the gym. It wasn't funny. And now Mitch uses that line. Yeah, right? yeah. If you know where to look, there is some amazing content out there. So Matt Ryder, Jeremy Mine. I've never heard of Kayla before, by the way. I haven't seen any oh, of her so, Yeah, so she's essentially do it selling, like, a, a women's only coaching program, which is basically a, a – a version of NEPQ. It is NEPQ, but it's the it's called the Red Book, and um, she's awesome. She just gives you some really good language, um, particularly when you're trying to be on the same side as a woman um, in getting them to feel that you are there with them and that you understand. And I really, really have used some of her stuff in my calls. It's just it's awesome. I've never really actually. I have sold to men in my gym, but I've never sold high ticket to men. And I, I imagine it's a different world of smacking them around. Like, so I often think I, I don't go through menopause, so it's very hard for me to relate. If I'm talking to a 34-year-old, I can talk Call of Duty all day long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk about slapping around men, you need to talk to Scott because he, yeah, he's selling to um, like $11,000 deals to, into cybersecurity. So it's a whole different ballgame. That, that is a whole different ballgame. Yeah. One of the things too, Brooke, I think if fitness business owners or personal trainers who have sold before, like if we've learned this stuff, they can learn it too. And it is mm-hmm. such, such a valuable skill. And I'm not even sure they are aware of the amazing opportunities out there where you can literally earn 10, 15, 20, 25,000 a month straight commission. And whether you end up in a high-ticket role or for it's your gym or you're doing your own online program, sales is everything. I'm selling Ellen on why we should have Ty the Indian. Like, persuasion is everywhere. 
everywhere, yeah. everywhere in how you communicate even. You know, like I've used I've used sales strategies that I use in my calls with everybody, my mom, my my partner, everybody, because it's a, it's communication. That's what sales is. It's you communicating and getting to the bottom of, of why, you know, it's happening. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's funny, amazing. I booked in for a knee surgery coming up, and I flew to Singapore, and I had a crutch, and I was sitting, like, one row behind first class, mm-hmm. and the toilets was the other side of the plane. So it would have legitimately been challenging for me to get there. And I said, to him, I said, listen, my knee's really sore. I've got a crutch. Would you be opposed to me using the first class bathroom? How could she say no to that? Would you be opposed to a man on one crutch using that bathroom? So, oh, sir, absolutely no problems at all. But she can't come, referring to Ellen. <laughs> Would you be It's a great question to ask. Yeah. Would it be appropriate to, um, you know, for, for me just be able to use the first class bathrooms because, you know, it's a bit of a walk for me? Like, would it be appropriate? No one's going to say no, it's not appropriate. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, it's the smallest, the smallest tweaks that you can make in the strip that, that change the outcome. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's awesome. So. Yeah. So, Brooke, one last thing. Whether you're new to sales, intermediate, you're advanced, you're the best fitness closer in the country. What are three tips to be an absolute elite salesperson in your mind? Okay, I've mentioned these all throughout the call, but these are honestly my three tips. If you want to just improve your sales game like tenfold in the next day, I would change these things. So number one, showing up, um, showing up to every call with the mindset that you are there to help them make the best possible decision for themselves. So being present in the call, listening to what they have to say, just getting rid of the outcome, removing yourself from the outcome and focusing on helping that person. And that's also accepting that one out of 50 people are not going to be a good fit. And that's okay. That's okay. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't reflect you as a salesperson for telling someone that they're not going to be a good fit for the program. That's important. Yeah, if you sell someone as a trusted advisor, you can also be the trusted advisor and put, push them into the right direction. And that is just period, point blank, being a good human being. And yeah. the salespeople I know are good human beings. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So that would be number one. Um, number two is not making assumptions. So I think we all do this, and it's really um, affecting how we show up in that call, is we read their intake form. It might say that they're on a disability pension or that they're struggling with finances or that they've only got a couple of kilos to lose and we've instantly made an assumption about that prospect. Oh, they're not going to be good. What's the point of even me being here? So we don't follow the process. We get on that call. We've got an assumption. We just try and get them off the phone. We disqualify them before we've even given them the chance to see if this is a good fit for them. So not making assumptions and genuinely listening to the prospects would be my number two. Because they may be retired, but they, they may have been a CEO of the Commonwealth Bank. Absolutely. Or, or they may have inherited a shit ton of money. Yep. Assumptions is affecting your sales game and how you show up. 100%. Uh, and then my third one is my favorite. It's pre-handling objections. So have extreme ownership of your process and don't miss an opportunity to handle objection that you know you're going to get in the end. So you're better off just exploring the door, going through, walking down that corridor, 
entering that room with them, exploring what's coming up for them in this moment, and then closing that door and moving forward. Before you pitch the price, you are more so the trusted advisor than ever before. So if there is an objection, my partner, like, he self-sabotages me sometimes, he brings home food, you need to address that. Yeah. Because if you pitch the price and you try and address it after, even if you do it with the right tone, everything's perfect, the price has been dropped, they're more likely to give you, it's too expensive as opposed to my partner doesn't support me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for coming. I do appreciate one hour and three minutes of your time. The role play was amazing, the why. I think I'm going to get you back in a couple of weeks and we can role play an entire phone call and you can piff me into a 26-week program. Easy. Done. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Bye.